Well, as we continue our study of the book of Colossians today, our lesson is entitled, The Gospel's Freedom. We're looking today at verses 16 through 23 of Colossians chapter 2. Today's focal passage immediately follows Paul's discussion of Christ's supremacy over all things and the work that he completed to purchase our salvation. He emphasized that Jesus accomplished all that is needed to save us, and he warned the readers not to let anyone deceive them with human arguments or additional requirements for salvation. Growing up, uh, Baptist churches seemed like had a reputation for certain things. And in my experience, um, a lot of people knew of Baptist churches and Baptists as people who, who didn't dance, didn't drink, in some cases didn't play cards or things like that. These legalistic things were more of what uh, Baptists were known for than the true gospel. And that's similar to what uh, this passage is talking about because many of the false teachers in those days of the book of Colossians uh, set up some unbiblical so-called requirements for people to, to do in order to please God and to even be saved. So the temptation to pollute the pure gospel of Jesus and his teachings with man-made restrictions, philosophies, and notions has been going on throughout history. Paul confronted this topic in his letter to the Colossians as he taught about the freedom that the gospel brings to our lives. First, we see in verses 16 and 17, freedom in worship. Those two verses say, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Most churches in New Testament times were comprised of a mixture of Jewish and Gentile believers. The majority in the Colossian church was likely Gentiles, but the heretical teachers that Paul confronted might have come from a legalistic Jewish background. As such, they clung to many of the Jewish dietary laws and the observance of special religious days. Yet Paul makes it clear in these verses that neither what one eats or drinks nor which religious festivals one observes have any bearing on one's relationship with the Lord. These matters of conscience should not become reasons for judgment. Instead, one may voluntarily practice or not practice certain actions so as not to make another believer stumble, as Paul talked about more in the book of 1 Corinthians. There's nothing wrong with any of these laws or practices. Certainly, they were uh, required by God during Old Testament days for the Jewish people, but they really have no place in uh, the life of a Christian as far as a requirement to, to please God. Paul emphasizes that all of the elements of the law were a shadow of what Christ revealed, which is the substance. This reflects the teaching of Jesus in Mark 7, verses 18 and 19, when he declared all foods clean. 
As Paul taught in Romans, the main purpose of the law was to show us our sinfulness before a holy God. The false teachers in Colossae were trying to convince people that following the Jewish law was an essential component of salvation. While following the Old Testament law is not wrong, many allowed the outward forms of religious practice to replace the character issues of a righteous heart. And that resulted in hypocrisy. A verse that's critical, it's a parallel passage here, is Galatians 5 verse 1, which says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And in that passage, he was also talking about additional requirements such as circumcision and keeping the law that uh, the Judaizers were teaching to the people of Galatia. And the word freedom there is the key thing that also is uh, the subject and the theme of the verses we're looking at today. Paul believed that the old laws about food and holy days pointed forward to the reality of Christ. Those who have Christ living in them by His Holy Spirit do not need to worry about keeping ancient rituals and customs. Think about this. What makes it hard for some people to accept the idea that salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone? Why do some people try to add requirements beyond faith in Jesus for gaining favor with God? Our human nature leads us to to think that we've got to do something in order to please God. It can't be truly free, yet the Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches that there's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn or deserve God's favor. All of our righteous acts, he says in the book of Isaiah, are like filthy rags. They're nothing before him. Even the best that we can do is not nearly enough to cover the multitude of sins that we have. So we must look at the idea that we are free in Christ because He has paid all the penalty and He's fulfilled all the requirements that God has for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be justified before Him so that we can go to heaven. The next thing we see in verses 18 and 19 is freedom from falsehoods. Those two verses say, Let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. So in these two verses, Paul refers to three additional problematic practices of the false teachers in Colossae. Asceticism, the worship of angels, and spiritual visions. None of these things is found in the Bible. But they were being promoted by the heretical teachers as things that marked so-called good Christians. 
Verse 18 uses a word that is translated in various ways in English, but the easiest way to understand it is the term disqualify or disqualified. These false teachers were trying to serve as umpires, so to speak, based on their own set of rules, and they wanted to disqualify those who did not follow their teachings from church life, disqualify them from being parts of the church. Depriving oneself of food or comfort has been practiced by certain religious orders for many centuries. This ties back to the Gnostic teaching that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good, so the flesh must be minimized in order for the spiritual things to be elevated. There is nothing in Scripture to back this up. Likewise, nowhere in the Bible are we told to worship angels. They are described in Hebrews 1.14 as ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation. Definitely not something to be worshipped when they are created to serve us and to serve the Lord God. Since we believe that the Bible gives us all we need to know about God in order to please Him, there is no place for additional spiritual visions or revelations for a believer. All of these false teachings only lead to divisions in God's church, trying to raise one person above another, saying, I've got this spiritual vision. I heard from God, so I'm more spiritual than you are. But those things are not uh, healthy for the church. In contrast, verse 19 gives us a picture of the church as a healthy body. It is guided by the head, which is Jesus, And his word nourishes and holds together each of the many members which are described here as various body parts. A healthy body grows as directed by God, but those who follow false teachings are separated from the head and not truly part of Christ's body. Think about what rigorous sacrifices might someone make today in order to try to bolster their own sense of spiritual accomplishment or even spiritual pride. There are a lot of things that people do to try to set them apart from others and make themselves look more spiritual, just as the Pharisees did in the time of Jesus. They would fast, they would um, give and tithe very publicly, pray publicly, just to be seen by men as Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And even today, many people try to do things outwardly to please God and to show others how spiritual they are when their hearts are not in the right place at all. These next four verses, verses 20 through 23, describe freedom to live, freedom to live the spiritual life that God created us to live. He said in verse 20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, 
but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. You can see here in these verses the false teachers telling people exactly what they can and can't do, what they can eat, what they can touch, what they can't touch. But the the bottom line and the common factor in all of these things is that they're outward. And even with food and, and things like that, it doesn't last. As it says here, they're all destined to perish with use. So we can see here that's not the kind of um, focus we need to have for our spiritual lives. Paul reminds us that our spiritual life comes after we die to ourselves and lean fully on Christ alone for our salvation. Trusting Christ alone means abandoning any notion that we contribute anything to our salvation. The if at the beginning of this verse conveys more of the meaning of since you died with Christ. Galatians 2.20 is another reminder that we have been crucified with Christ, and yet we don't no longer live, but Christ lives in us through faith. So we are no longer subject to the rules and requirements of human religions. Since we no longer belong to the world, we are free from its human regulations, commands, and teachings. This does not mean that we disobey the moral and ethical commands of Scripture. It simply means that we obey God out of gratitude for the gift of grace that He has given us, not because we are trying to earn His favor or His salvation. A believer's life must be holy and very different from an unsaved person's life. Our good works play no part in saving us, but they are important aspects of our daily walk with Jesus. Man-made religious observances not only do not add to genuine religious devotion, they detract from what matters most to God. When we focus on the external elements of religious practice, we often neglect what matters more to God, our heart attitude. Legalism often leads to cold, lifeless religion. Instead, God wants our obedience to His commands to flow as acts of worship out of our love for Him. Look at it this way. When you pay a bill or a tax, you do it out of a sense of duty and often grudgingly. However, when you buy a gift for your spouse or child, you do it in a spirit of love and generosity because you want to please that person that you love. We should live out our faith with a passion to please God, who freely forgave our sins and provided us the wonderful gift of salvation. External religious practices of self-denial can't change what is going on in our hearts. We can avoid physical sins like murder, sexual immorality, and stealing, while at the same time being consumed by anger, lust, and envy. God sees these hidden sins in the same way as He sees the outward actions that they lead to. The only way to subdue the flesh is by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's look back for a few moments at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. 
Those verses say, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the key, that the spiritual life is not what we do on the outside, what kind of actions we do. It's more about what's going on on the inside. And that can only be changed by the Holy Spirit living within us as we're submitting to the Lordship of Christ every day, allowing our minds to be transformed and renewed and letting Him flow His life out of us. That's what true spirituality is all about. It's not just about what we do on the outside, what people can see in our lives. So all the things that people do to try to add to faith alone, anything they try to add to earn their way to heaven, uh, works against the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. So we have a choice today, either to live in spiritual bondage to human requirements that can't actually save us, or to live in freedom through the gospel. Once we experience the salvation that can only come through faith in Jesus as Lord, we can now live in obedience with daily assurance that our eternity is secure. Every action that we do flows out of our love relationship with Jesus Christ, not out of a desire to earn His favor. Let's live each day in the freedom that Jesus gave His life to purchase for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this passage that teaches us that we don't have to live in the kind of bondage that comes from human requirements and standards that truly we can never live up to, but that you've given us eternal life as a gift through your grace. And Lord, I pray that we would live in that freedom every day, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us to obedience and to a life that pleases you, and that everything we do after that moment of salvation would be done out of a, a flow of love for you and gratitude to you for what you've done. Give us the strength and power to live in your spirit in a way that pleases you this week in the freedom that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.